We had a break from the podcast last week, but we're back now to wrap up all the latest travel industry news. And as always in these crazy times, there's certainly been a lot to report on. The new Virgin Australia is taking shape, border uncertainty continues, and there's been lots of news in cruise too. I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is Travel Daily News on the Fly. So Bruce, I guess one of the biggest news stories of the last few days has been the unveiling of lots of changes at Virgin Australia. What's happening there? Yeah, Bain Capital, the successful bidder for Virgin Australia, has laid out its plans for the airline once it takes control. And I think it's a good example of what can happen with the voluntary administration process where a company is given breathing space to restructure and make its operations more sustainable. Bain is clearly heavily backing the management team uh, under Paul Scarra, the existing CEO, and he is wielding the axe to make the airline a sustainable operation post-COVID-19. It looks to me as though he's really being empowered to make lots of changes that just weren't possible previously because of the airline's quite complex shareholding arrangements. And so what is he proposing that Virgin 2.0 will look like? Well, it's definitely going to be a much simpler airline. One of the headline takeaways from the announcement is that uh, Tiger Air Australia brand is going to disappear. Scarra says there's just no custard demand for two brands in the market at the moment. And that's clearly a sensible move. And it just means the airline doesn't have to operate in that ultra low cost segment. And that move's definitely going to be welcomed by Jetstar, of course. Tiger Air, to me, has always been pretty much a basket case. Um, Those who are familiar with the history would know that it started out with a fanfare as a 50-50 joint venture with Singapore Airlines. And both Virgin and Singapore Airlines put in you know, heaps of money. Ultimately, Virgin bought out the stake held by Singapore Airlines for just $1 a few years ago, and the operation just hasn't been able to make any money. Interestingly, Virgin is going to maintain the Tiger Air Australia AOC and basically keep it in mothballs. So it's got the option to relaunch as an ultra low cost carrier up its sleeve one day. There's lots of other simplification too, right across the business, including moving to a single aircraft type. Uh, That means the end of the Virgin A330 and 777 long-haul aircraft. And so basically a heavy focus on domestic, um, hopefully short-haul international when bubbles open up. But interestingly, Scara also said the eventual relaunch of long-haul flights, perhaps to the USA and Japan, is still part of the long-term plan once the global travel market recovers. And what about jobs? Yeah, well, as expected, there will be lots of jobs lost. Uh, Tons of Virgin Australia staff, like most people in aviation in Australia, are stood down. And essentially, the airline has admitted that about 3,000 jobs won't return. Still a fair bit of detail to be worked out here. Scarra said the plan would secure about 6,000 jobs once market demand recovers. So we definitely don't know the timing of that. And with potential to add another 2,000 roles in the future, I guess, as demand ramps up. Anyone who's stood down will continue to receive JobKeeper until it runs out in March next year, and they will receive all their entitlements, which is a pretty positive outcome, all things considered. Another piece of the puzzle is that the new owners will honour all travel credits and velocity points, and they've extended the dates for when people with flight credits can redeem them right through to the 31st of July 2022, and for travel until the 30th of June 2023, so that's pretty generous. You wouldn't describe Scar as Santa Claus Minor details are still to be worked out, but I think overall it's a much better outcome than it could have been. So when does all of that become official? The deal is still subject to ratification by the creditors, and it should be noted that they haven't released details of how much people who are owed money are going to get. That's supposed to come out in the formal report from the administrators, which is due on the 19th of August, and then there's a meeting to formally vote on a deed of company arrangement, and that's currently scheduled for the 26th. But it all looks to be pretty much a fait accompli at this stage. And in other aviation news, Emirates has launched a new trade website. What's the story there? 
This is a development that's been closely watched because I guess when other airlines have made moves like this, it's been a precursor to significant changes in their distribution, like the Qantas Channel and the Singapore Airlines Chris Connect platform, both of which involve additional costs uh, for traditional GDS bookings for people who don't switch to these new ways of booking. However, Emirates hasn't said anything about that at this stage, and they're just pitching it simply as a one-stop shop for travel trade partners around the world. And it does look like a great initiative to help the airline serve travel agents better. There's a lot of information about Emirates services, uh, but also a ton of self-service options and the ability to manage bookings, etc. It has been built on NDC and gives full access to the airline's rich content like uh, chauffeur drive, product details, the ability to book ancillaries and more. Anyway, yeah, further details to come, so watch this space. And Emirates has also been in the news recently about its COVID insurance coverage. That's got to be good news for the industry, doesn't it? Yes, this is really massive and a bold initiative by Emirates, which is basically offering to cover any medical expenses and quarantine costs for anyone who gets COVID-19 while they are travelling. Um, Unfortunately, of course, it's not really widely usable in Australia at the moment because the borders are closed and the offer is valid for uh, travel through to the end of October. But it is a real step in the right direction in terms of boosting confidence. The August edition of Travel Bulletin is out now, featuring the first in-depth interview with newly appointed AFTA CEO Darren Rudd and his big plans for the industry. This month's issue also includes a feature on New South Wales food and wine, as well as our highly respected commentary on all the big industry issues. Check it out now at travelbulletin.com.au. And speaking of confidence, that's something that's been a little rocked this week in the cruise industry worldwide, with a few unfortunate backward steps in terms of a restart due to COVID-19. What's happened there? For global cruising, unfortunately, it just seems to be one step forward, two steps back at the moment, with COVID-19 really having a sting in its tail like a scorpion. We were all really excited a few weeks back when Hurtigruten restarted expedition voyages in Norway and, you know, a whole lot of strict protocols, reduced occupancy, social distancing, new procedures, domestic passengers only. It was just seen as someone's taking the initiative to really get going again. Such a great move, pioneering a restart. And then Hurtigruten was followed by a few other brave cruise lines, which have also paved the way. But this week, we've had the desperately annoying news that crew on Hurtigruten's Roald Amundsen have been diagnosed with COVID-19. 36 in total, despite all the precautions. Apparently, they're mostly people from the Philippines, and it looks as though the strict procedures put in place by Hurtigruten weren't followed to the letter. But it's just so unfortunate because, of course, it's led to a whole lot more headlines about how cruising is unsafe. A small number of passengers have also contracted it. So, yeah, it's just really, really sad. And you mentioned that some other cruise lines were affected as well. What's the story? Yeah, well, Hurtigruten's had the biggest outbreak, but a few other early adopters have also, unfortunately, reported cases on board, including Ponant's sister company Paul Galgan, which reopened its voyages in French Polynesia to the international market, including Americans. And so they've got a case on board. Also Sea Dream Yacht Club, it had also restarted operations in Norway. And now Canadian small ship operator Uncruise Adventures, which uh, just this week boasted about being the only cruise line that would be able to operate in Alaska this season because they've only got small ships and they could satisfy the requirements. They've just cancelled all of its five upcoming voyages because a passenger has tested positive. Interestingly, in that case, found to have COVID-19 despite being completely asymptomatic. Basically, they only found out because they were tested due to the requirements being imposed, you know, as part of boarding the cruise. 
Anyway, with all of that happening, Cruise Lines International Association has announced that its members are also extending their global cruise pause by another month through to the end of October. Clearly, they're starting to engage more closely with the Centers for Disease Control in America. Let's hope they come up with some workable solutions that will enable cruising to get going again. And finally, what's happening with the borders? When do you think we might see travel sort of starting up again? Well, clearly the situation in Victoria has really put the kibosh on a lot of the progress we'd seem to be making. But surely we will see a decline in the COVID-19 cases under the extremely strict lockdown measures being imposed by Daniel Andrews. When we did see those initial interstate border openings happening, there was an immediate bounce in demand. And I know some travel agents were also able to capitalise on that. But with elections looming in New Zealand, I I think Jacinda Ardern faces the polls mid-September and also there's an election coming up in Queensland. And there is a real populist approach of keeping borders up. I don't think we're going to see any movement there until after all those leaders are re-elected. But you can be sure there is demand for when things do start to open up. And we all just have to hang on until that happens. I should also add, things are pretty bleak here, but for the travel agents in New Zealand, it's absolutely dire, diabolical in terms of the government's engagement with the sector. The government there just has seems to have no conception whatsoever of the role that travel agents play, and they're basically being left out to dry and, you know, with any support ending at the end of this month. So to all of our listeners in New Zealand and also all those in Victoria, we are thinking of you and we stand beside you. Yeah, I just want to second that uh, to everyone in the travel industry. These are really hard times and we hear you and we stand with you. And to everyone in lockdown in Victoria, we really think of you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Keep up to date with your daily newsletters from Travel Daily and Cruise Weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. We actually will be back next week with more news on the fly.